Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, it's Rob here uh, with another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. And today's guest is Dr. Geraldine Maguire. Um, And for over 20 years, she's worked on complex projects balancing economic, environmental and social aspects to achieve sustainable solutions. One of her main specialisations is mine closure and the topic of discussion today is around repurposing mines versus versus traditional mine closures. Um, and obviously some or most of uh, the audience listening will be involved in this during their career. So hopefully this will give some um some content around best practices and challenges you may face in that uh, in that scenario. So right, uh, so enough of me, and I'd like to welcome uh, Dr. Geraldine Maguire. How are you doing, Geraldine? I'm well, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Really appreciate your time. Um, so yeah, I wondered if you can just give the audience a little bit about um, your background um, from when you graduated and how your career and how your journey has developed. Um, to where you are today. Sure. Well, it's a, a bit of an interesting journey because I, I grew up in far north Queensland in Australia and I, I grew up in a regional area and had a lot to do with farming. My family had an avocado farm, so I actually went off to university and studied agricultural science. However, by the time I graduated, Australia was in a recession in the agricultural sector. So quite a lot of my year ended up in the mining industry doing mine site rehabilitation. And and that's where I ended up is is doing rehabilitation on mine sites. So we we use a lot of the same science that we do as an agricultural scientist, just apply it instead of growing things, we use it to restoring degraded landscapes. So, so through that journey, I actually ended up in Indonesia, believe it or not, working for one of the largest mining companies in the world as their environmental manager. I had 120 staff working for me who were all local people from, from that area. And, and our job was to not just to rehabilitate the mine, but also to do all the water quality monitoring, uh, to deal with a lot of community issues around land disturbance. And, and that mine that I was on actually ran out of ore while I was working for it. It was a big gold mine. And, and that's the thing about mining. It's a non-renewable resource. And at some point in time, the, the resource runs out. And so this, this mine ran out of ore. And so my job was then to, to work on what to do uh, both with the site, which was needed to be rehabilitated, but also how to help the two and a half thousand local people who are employed at this mine to transition into a new life when, when their job finished up. So I became really interested in both the, the environmental and the social aspects of mine closures and, and how to think about other economic opportunities for, for people in these remote areas that have, have really become dependent and reliant on mining as, as their income source. Okay. And so did you then come back to Australia and work? 
That, that's right. So I, after that, I was I was offered a job. I could have moved to Melbourne, but I decided I wanted to, and our family decided we wanted to come back home here to far north Queensland, my husband's family from here, and our granddaughters are now the seventh generation in the area that we live, so we, we we'll feel very much this is home. So we started off, my husband and I set up a company about 18 years ago now, looking at both the environmental and social aspects of, of large projects, um, particularly mining, and particularly in our area of expertise is in repurposing, or what, what to do with mines when they're closed, so that you can continue to have an, an income stream from, from those operations. So yeah, we've been based here for 18 years in a lovely little rural town called Melanda, but we also have offices now in Cairns, which is our large regional centre, and also in Brisbane, which is the capital of Queensland. Yeah. So what's your um, company uh, called, and what services do you provide mining companies? Our company is called Sustainable Solutions Global, and that really came from the project we worked on in Indonesia, which was our little tagline was working together for sustainable solutions, and so that's really where the, the name came from. And what we do now is we provide expertise in mine rehabilitation and closure. However, we also work on uh, obtaining project approvals for, for new or expanding mines. So, so we know how to start mines up, we know how to close them down, and we also provide all of the operational expertise for operations, um, which you know, might be anything from acid rock drainage to helping communities with community development pro projects associated with the mine. So, so lots of aspects of that. And then we've also been able to roll those skill sets over into other industries and other sectors. So we've worked in the renewable energy sector on some large wind farms. We've worked on some really large ecotourism developments. And we've, we've worked on some sort of large scale uh, pipeline projects as well. So, so many of the skills that we developed in the mining industry, we've actually been able to transition out in, into other other industries and other sectors. Okay. Um, you obviously mentioned work. You worked in Indonesia. Um, what's the? I suppose what's the environmental laws out there compared to, say, Australia? How different are they? And what kind of do you face a lot of different challenges from different countries that you have worked in? I mean, how varied are they? Or are they pretty, I suppose, um, the laws out there compared to, say, Australia, are they along the same lines or do they vary so much? Well, it's surprisingly similar from country to country because many of the laws have come from the World Bank and initiatives that the World Bank has put in place and yep. safeguards that they put in place. Well, what the big difference is, is the country's ability to enforce those laws. Okay. And so, so here in Australia, you know, we do have a really um, robust public service who have got uh, good capacity in enforcement and, 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 ha and have the backing of, of our politicians to be able to undertake those enforcement activities. And I, I think that's the difference in many emerging economies is that the enforcement capacity is there. They don't have the people skilled up within the, the public service uh, and, and they also don't have the backing of, of politicians or, or government um, people in higher positions. To, to undertake those enforcement capacities. So I think that's what I find is a really big difference between an emerging economy and, and a place like Australia. And so much of our work, while we are working in emerging economies, is actually to mentor 
government people that we work with to to provide that that support and and capacity building so that so they're able to to be able to do as good a job as possible yeah so what challenges do you face then in trying to educate say the uh, obviously apart from the workers but educate uh, the local politicians uh, government officials in trying to uh, i suppose understand your way of thinking and how to interpret the laws i mean obviously that must be quite quite a challenge is there a process that you go through look i think in the end most people do want the same things in life that they want to have their family safe and they, they don't want their environment to be destroyed. So so a lot of things we bring back is to that we find that common ground in terms of um, leaving a safe and stable um, environment behind. And and so then often if there's somebody who's got a vested interest, so for example, I'm thinking in Indonesia, there's a lot of logging companies that wanted to come in and to log the, the site that, that we had restored. So it was then working with people in the forestry department to, to help guide them towards understanding why we needed not that area to be lost so that it was safe and stable for, for future generations and so that dams that we left behind didn't burst and that, that areas that we had, we had rehabilitated were also left in a safe and stable way. So look what, what I found was the way the best way for me to engage with people is to actually involve them in the process and so there's there's and what I developed was a very good way of explaining very technical issues like acid rock drainage or acid mine drainage uh, in, a, in a way that, that people could understand and they're realising the reason you were doing it was for their own safety and well-being. And, and in the end, that's, that's the common ground and, and that's what everybody's interested in. So, so it became a way of really empowering both the local community but also local politicians into doing the right thing because it was the right thing to do for, the, for their own people and, and their own family's uh, safety and well-being. Yeah. Um, obviously, your specialisation is in mine closure. Um, so what's actually involved in a traditional mine closure? Well, traditionally, mine closures were just thought about, well, I, I call it like putting the egg back together. So trying to restore what was there before the mine went ahead, uh, which might be a forest um, or it could be a a grassland, whatever the natural ecosystem was previous to the mine starting. And for example, in Indonesia, the area had been a, a, a beautiful forest. So initially what we started to do was to, well, what was the species in that forest and how do we put that forest back? However, the, the difference between, so that's that's a traditional mine closure. So, so as I said, let's try and put the egg back together after we've already made the omelette, which is actually very difficult to do. But the other thing it doesn't do is actually think about the people in the landscape. And the reality is that people have been in landscapes and 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 interacting with, with natural landscapes for, for many, many years. And here in Australia, for at least 60,000 years that we know of, possibly longer. So it's actually thinking about the people and the environment at the same time. And and what, what are the needs of the people? Because if you try and put back a forest, for example, in an area where there are lots of people living, well, those people would just come in and cut down the forest. And so what was the point of investing all that money in something that's that's not going to be sustained? So, so a big part of what we do in repurposing is to actually to sit to, with the community and listen to the community and understand what their ongoing needs are and try to come up with, with options 
that will involve people in in that uh, landscape into the future. And so, so for example, in Indonesia, what we came up with was was a protected forest because we really needed those trees to be there to protect some of the infrastructure on the site. But we also, through that, were able to set up a partnership with the World Wildlife Fund for that area to be a sanctuary for the Borneo rhinoceros. And through that process, there are people employed as forest rangers. Uh, we set up a trust fund that will operate in perpetuity to continue to fund that site. So there are ongoing jobs, there are ongoing opportunities, and there's an ongoing incentive for people to do the right thing on that mine site. So it's very different from basically just planting a forest and walking away, which was, was really what mine closures were in the past, was trying to come up with literally what they called a walkaway solution. And that doesn't include people and it doesn't include on, ongoing opportunities. Yeah, okay. Um, so what's the difference between a, a traditional mine closure um, and repurposing of a mine? Well, I was just explaining some of those things, Rob. So basically, the, so a traditional mine closure is you just basically put the trees back in and walk yep. away, whereas as repurposing is you think of another purpose that you could use for that mine. So the example I gave in Indonesia, it became a wildlife sanctuary. Some, some other examples of repurposed mine sites, so, so near me, there was another gold mine, and it's now a renewable energy project. So a company came in, they used the dams that were on there to set up a, a hydro-powered scheme, and they also set up a solar energy scheme. And so they've got a number of different renewable energy sources that are operating off that mine, and, and also using the infrastructure. So, so many of these mines are located in very remote locations where prior to the mine being there, there was no power, there was no access. And so it uses all of those investments and that infrastructure into a new land use. So it's thinking about a new land use as opposed to just thinking of it as a mine that, that is no longer operating. Yeah, I understand, yeah. Um, what challenges are mining companies facing in mine closure and what could they what do you think they could do better um, in your perspective well I think part of the challenge is that mining companies are mining companies they, yep. that's all they, their expertise is they don't see themselves as being land use companies whereas the, the land has got many opportunities that might be there and so it, it's about how to Think about these other opportunities like agriculture or renewable energies at the beginning of starting a mine because then you're actually working towards a, a different outcome than, than just working it as, as a mine. And, and I, I think part of the challenge is that uh, mining companies are run by mining engineers or accountants who, who, are just, who are very focused and are very good at what they do and it's, and it's they're, they're purely focused on mining that ore body yeah. rather than thinking of that ore body as something, a particular land use of a particular period in time that could then, that land could be used for something else. So, that, so that's a big challenge and, and what we're finding is that in many ways it's the smaller companies uh, who, are, who are stepping up to these challenges or thinking outside the box and being more agile with the opportunities that are there. Hmm. So a company like yourselves will come in, if a company is looking to sort of close a mine, you will come in and then provide services or options to them in what they should, in what they should do in terms of closing a mine. 
Yeah, that's right. So we've just worked on a, on a large mine in Western Australia that's due to close this year. And part of what we did was look at, well, what are the other opportunities that could be used for this site? Yep. And there were a number of them. One was it could go back to cattle grazing. It could be used for uh, growing native species uh, that were edible or had economic opportunities in that area. Um, there was a lot of water in this area, so it could have actually been used for irrigated agriculture. Uh, so, you know, they were just three opportunities that came from us sitting down, looking at the data, looking at the other industries, talking to the local community about the things that they are also interested in. Okay. Um, and it, why is there a trend towards repurposing mines? Well, it's really because it's getting harder and harder to, to open mines and so, and part of that is because there's a lot of very bad legacies that have been left behind. So mines that have been abandoned, uh, mines that have done really poor closures, companies that have sold off mines uh, because they couldn't be bothered to rehabilitate them themselves, they've sold them off to juniors who didn't have the skills. So there's, the industry has a bit of a reputational problem at the moment um, and a lot of that is to do with legacy sites and, and uh, sites that have not been closed properly. So so part of it is trying to to improve the reputational industry of the mining industry. Many young people are very anti-mining even though they all love their, their mobile phones and flying around in aeroplanes. Um, they, their impression of mining is that they're they're ugly, they're dirty, they do the wrong thing. So in some ways it's actually about trying to improve uh, both the outcome but also the reputation of, of the mining industry by, by focusing on repurposing mines and being able to have positive stories around um, what to do with a mine once it's closed. Yeah, and would you say there's any particular countries that do this better than others? Well, I actually think the UK has really led the way uh, here. Um, so that the Eden project, for example, is a really great example. Um, there's a, there's another uh, another lot of really good examples in the UK where the sites have been planted out to to forests and and that they're not for profit. Um, entities that are actually running those community forests. So, so the UK has been mining for a very long time. I mean, I've heard of, there's a great little book around, you know, a hundred things to do with a, a hole in the ground and, you know, lots, lots of different ideas, turning them into museums, turning them into art galleries, turning them into function centres. So, look, it's, it's really only what the imagination can come up with. And it's also a really big part of what the local community can, can think of and, and wants to take ownership of as well. Because I think that's the really big challenge here is, is it really requires uh, another organisation or another entity to step up and say, yeah, I'm interested in this and this is what I'd like to do with it and please please help me to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, because the reality is you know, mining companies are there to mine and, and they do want to, to move away from that uh, and, and it really requires uh, you know, somebody else to, to really take ownership and to do something else. Yeah, I suppose it makes sense because a mining company will go in and mine, mine the land and then when they go walk away from that, when they've done their, when they've done what they needed to do, they walk away and leave, leave the land maybe as it is, or do something a little bit about it. But it's the locals that are going to be affected, and they need to be involved in trans, I suppose, um, making that land 
of a different use, like like you were saying, and repurposing it. So the people in the local communities, whether it's a whether it's a developing country or even a, a first world country, they can then benefit from ongoing developments of that land and like you said repurposing it into maybe a museum or an attraction um it does make sense and i suppose this does go on quite often it does and, and what we're seeing is that it's the people who who are who are local to the mine who've worked there who see themselves as very much part of that that area that don't want to move away that are really stepping up and, and taking on these challenges yeah um so what do you think um are the future trends for repurposing of mines? Oh, look, I think there's lots of different opportunities. So carbon farming or carbon sequestration is another one that, that's been talked about a lot. Um, here in Australia, it's the use of native species so uh, that, that are endemic to Australia, that have economic opportunities is something that's being looked at. In Australia, we use a lot of, of what's called wattles or acacias for rehabilitation. And there's about 15 species of those that are edible, um, that can be used for people and stock feed. So that, that's a really big trend at the moment is trialing different species um, in the rehabilitation areas that have other economic opportunities as well as have restorative aspects as well. Um, so look, they're just a couple um, that I can think of. Certainly the renewable energy industry is, is very big and growing uh, and working a lot with the mining industry uh, because there's all that infrastructure there that could be utilised. Yes, certainly. Um, and as a conclusion, um, if a company is looking to sort of close a mine in the near future, how can you, um, how can you help them with that? So, so the first thing we do is to really understand what their legal obligations are because every country is different in terms of its legal obligations, its financial assurance, its bonds that it might have in place and also what its government is expecting it to do as well. So, so the first thing is, is really what we, we do is like, like a gap analysis um, to work out where they're at and where they need to go and, and that, that can be quite a quick process because it's, it's usually fairly obvious what, what are the legal requirements. And then it's the next thing is to understand where they want to go and what their their reputational risk is and what they're trying to achieve as a company. So, so many big companies are very concerned about reputational risk and they really want to leave a po positive legacy behind. And that's what we work with them on. It's how, how can you leave a positive legacy and, and what are the options that are available to you? Okay. Well, that's um, great. I really appreciate your time, uh, Geraldine, for uh, providing that uh, information around mine closures. Like I said um, in, in the introduction, I'd imagine most of the people listening um, who are in the mining industry um, will one time throughout their career be in a situation where their mine will be closing down. And um, hopefully you've provided some content and some, um, I suppose, awareness of um, what actually happens when a mine is planning to close. So um, if our, any of our audience wants to uh, sort of reach out to you, how can they uh, go about doing that? Well, the best way is, is really through email, uh, through our website. So the best email is, is just info, info at sustainablesolutionsglobal.com and, uh, and have a look on our website as well. Um, we've got our phone number on our website and uh, really happy to hear from, from anyone who's got a question and would like some guidance in this area. Yes, certainly. And are you on any uh, social media platforms at all? 
Yes, we are. We, we're on um, LinkedIn and we're also on Facebook as well. Okay, no worries. Um, alternatively, you can also contact me uh, via email and I can pass any uh, messages on. And my email address is rob at mining-international.org. Um, really appreciate your time, Geraldine. Um, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, please share the, uh, the, the podcast to any colleagues, friends, family that are involved in the mining industry because um, certainly you can learn a lot from uh, any of the episodes as, uh, as certainly I've learned today. So really appreciate you um, sharing this uh, podcast and um, hope, you're, hope you're enjoying it. So until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep the mining podcast if there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow rob and mining international on linkedin facebook twitter and youtube for more content and to have your questions answered until next time happy mining